Welcome to the Limited Slip Podcast, your week's automotive news in 20 minutes. We compress all the news in the auto, motorcycle, and racing worlds for you into our 20-minute podcast. Your hosts are Dave, an attorney and car importer, and Borja, who owns an auto repair shop. This is Dave and Borja on this week's Limited Slip Podcast. This week's Limited Slip Podcast is brought to you by Retro Mobile Designs. If you are looking for auto and racing themed t-shirts that look cool to the average Joe, but get an approving nod from other petrol heads, check them out at RetroMobileDesigns.com. As you can tell, we are publishing our episode a little bit later. So what happened was we, we did our recording last week like normal, and then the the audio file got corrupted and it wasn't it wasn't salvageable so we got to do it again so here we are mm. now we are both going to get the feeling that we have talked about this before <laughs> yeah we are in, indeed we are yes it's like so, a deja vu moment have you ever had like a real deja vu moment before uh i don't know if it's been real because you always like there's been a few instances where i have asked myself, is this real? Have I lived this before? And because uh, it's hard for me to like say yes to that or no, I can't say that I have truly lived a true 100% deja vu moment. But yeah. it's been it's been an interesting experience. Uh, the couple of times that I've experienced something, I'm like, whoa, this feels like I've lived it before. Yeah, so, I, like I, I swear that I've been here before, but you know that you haven't. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think Porsche is constantly living that every time a new 911 comes out. Yeah, thank goodness for that because uh, <laughs> we both love our 911s. So, well, let's let's get let's get back into the news. Okay, so the first thing that we have to talk about this week is the Tuatara. Yet again, we have news on SSC and the Tuatara. Well, they've done it. Seems like uh, third time is a charm, right? So this was uh, last week when this actually happened. They did a two-way average of 282.9 miles per hour. Uh, again, two-way average. Uh, the previous uh, record uh, was uh, held by Koenitzek, uh, and their average was 277.8 miles per hour. We do know that the Bugatti Veyron, I'm sorry, not the Veyron, the um, uh, Chiron, has done 304 miles an hour, but it hasn't been done two ways, so there's no average. Um, so yeah, what what happened uh, this time, Dave, with SSC? Besides, of course, looking like they were able to achieve the record this time. Yeah, yeah, for real this time, right? Yeah, for the, real um, this time. Yes. The run, the run was interesting. They they had this time several representatives from timing equipment manufacturers so you know you have um the v-box for example this is one of the this is one of the more prominent data loggers for for cars they had an engineer from race logic maker of the v-box there they had multiple v-boxes in they had a garmin they had all different types of gps stuff all the data aligned and so it looks like that there's there's no funny business and we have third parties there to uh to verify that they reached the speed that they said they did this time so so yeah here, here they are they they are officially the holders of the fastest car in the world production car in the world so 
and it seems like there's more to go to be honest it seems like this this uh 282 to almost 283 seems like there's a lot of room for improvement there so they they had a they were using a runway it's only a couple miles long they had about two and a half uh, 2.3 miles for acceleration before they had to start slowing down compare this to the other runs for you know for koenigsegg or from bugatti where they have many more miles to accelerate so it kind of just makes it that much more impressive so they 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 also had to turn down the boost so they were down about 300 horsepower because last time when they were doing some testing they were running into all these heat soak issues that we were talking about last time mm -hmm. um and so they're the because they had less distance, they had to go at wide open throttle for longer this time. So they knew that the heat soak was going to be an issue. So they're, they said they're working on a fix for that, but they, they had to go turn the boost down a little bit. So all, all really interesting, really, you know, again, just a wonderful accomplishment. And it certainly seems like the 300 miles an hour, because when you look at the data, they're still accelerating really hard at 270 miles an hour. And you know, so it certainly seems like 300 is, is within reach for him. It's doable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about the driver? Well, yeah. So one of the other interesting things about this, so when they, when they did the, the run that was called into question in Nevada, they had a professional test driver. Okay. Now his name was Oliver Webb. It, it turns out we thought that when they did the second run, that they used the driver more because the drive the, the or excuse me they used the owner because the owner was insistent that he was the one to do it to to break the record. It turns out that wasn't entirely the case. Um, it certainly seems like the owner of the car is really excited and 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 did want to be the driver, but it also turns out that the the Oliver Webb the race the race car driver. He, he refused to, to do the run again. We don't know if that was because of the controversy or if he just thought it was too dangerous. Um, not sure, but he, he refused to do it. So the owner, his name, um, his name is Dr. Larry Kaplan. He's a dentist and an entrepreneur and also pretty big into charities. So he, he was the one to do it. He has a couple of charities. If you want to check them out, one of them is CF charities. And um, yeah, so that's, that's what he did. He, he's hopeful that, this will bring attention to, to his cause. Yeah. And what's interesting about um, the, well, all the runs really that at least from the media standpoint, there's been little to no news ahead of time. Everything we've known that the first, the second and the third run, they took place because what we knew after the fact, it wasn't like they were throwing this big event before, um, so we knew that the second run, of course, was not the way that they had hoped for. Things didn't turn out the way that they had uh, hoped for. And we were confident that they were going to do a third run, but we just didn't know when that was going to take place. Right. Um, and it actually, I think, uh, it uh, they they kind of put everything together fairly quickly uh, to yeah. do the third run again. Because um, we're yeah. only talking about a few weeks since the second and the third run. Well, I, I have every suspicion that come springtime, they're going to be back in Nevada trying to set a, a true top speed, the highest speed that the vehicle is capable of record. Now, you know, I, I guess one of the big questions that I have left over from all this, again, you know, congratulations to them, big accomplishment, you know, a, accomplishment of a lifetime, right? I mean, um, 
Mr. Shelby, owner of SSE, he's been working on this for, for decades. A long right? time. So yeah. congrats, congratulations to him. I, I wonder if it's enough to overcome the negative press that they receive from the controversy. Now, you know, there is the saying that all press is good press. And I, I just don't know if that's actually true. I, I... But I think that every time that SSC now is wanting to do anything as far as breaking any records, it's going to be looked at with a lot more scrutiny than if CoinExec or Bugatti was trying to beat the record. Right. Uh, so, and I think that's something that they're going to have to live with uh, for as long as they do business. Well, the next, next thing on our list of things to talk about is another fast car, although it's a very different kind of fast car. We're talking about, of course, the new Tesla Model S Plaid mm -hmm. Plus. I, I think that this will be the ultimate version of the Model S. I don't think that they're going to come out with a faster one before they uh, decide to redo the Model S. So the... This Plaid Plus has some pretty headline numbers. So the range is going to be exceptional. Okay, the range is going to be about 520 miles. Top speed, they're claiming 200 mile an hour top speed. That's, that's actually really impressive from, uh, yeah, I mean, these are single speed motors. Really, really impressive top speed if, that's, if that holds true. Zero to 60, they, they claim that it will be just barely under two seconds. We're talking like 1.99 seconds. And the price is $140,000. Now that's, it's kind of a lot of money. I mean, when you, I mean, $140,000 is a lot of money. And the other really interesting thing is that they're, they're updating, kind of doing like a mid cycle refresh of the whole model S range for the interior. And one of the things that we get, I'm not sure if it comes in just the, the plaid and plaid plus, or if it's going to be across all of the model S's is that, is you get this, um, you get an up an updated interior dash that's across all the Model S's. And it actually looks a lot better, right? They, they've reoriented the screen from, from uh, portrait to landscape. And you still have, thank goodness, you still have an instrument cluster in front of the driver. But then the steering wheel is like the weird thing. Like Elon Musk just can't like not do something weird. And it's like, a, instead of a steering wheel, it's like an aircraft yoke. So it's open on the top and you, and you grab it on the sides. Um, Frankly, I don't know that that's going to be legal. I don't, I don't think they're going to be able to get that past the DOT. So, Well, I mean, we do know that as soon as the first images were leaked of the new refresh interiors, it didn't take more than 24 hours for articles to surface stating that the feds were already looking into it. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah. But, you know, besides uh, that interesting steering wheel, I agree. I think the interior looks a lot better. Uh, you actually now also get a third screen uh, on the back, uh, just mm -hmm. kind of where the air vents are located towards the, the bottom. I'm not sure exactly the whole purpose of that screen. I mean, sure, maybe for climate control or, or, or things of that nature, but I just don't think that the screen over there is a very good idea because if you, especially if you're going to be carrying three people in the back, uh, that's where usually where your feet would be or close to. Yeah. And so having a screen right there, I don't think it's the, the best idea. That's just me. That those were my initial thoughts when I saw the screen uh, located down there, but 
the front looks miles better than the current Model S. And yes, I think that now switching the screen from a vertical to a horizontal view is much, much better. Plus, you also get the added bonus, which I think it's the main reason why they did it is, as you know, the Model 3 and the Model Y, they both come with horizontal screens. So now it, the Model S and the Model X switching to a horizontal screen, it, it's also a lot easier when it comes to development uh, and for the software and updates, since now you just have one side, one um, orientation for everything instead of mm -hmm. having two. So maybe that's part of the reason why they did that. There's just some of my initial thoughts on maybe why, but Regardless, I think it looks great. Um, yeah. we, we do know that they also came, the new X and S models, uh, they are coming out with a new front bumper. Um, if I'm honest, unless you look looking really, really hard, it's hard to tell the difference between the, the old one and the new one. I think it's more of an interior upgrade than it is more of an exterior upgrade. And I think that the exterior for both the S and the X, especially more for the S, is overdue for a, just a, a revamp. We just need a new Model S. Um, it's starting yeah. to look a little bit old. Well, yeah, I think it does. I mean, the, it looks, it came out a long time ago, mm -hmm. right? And, and it does, it has, like, it looks like a, a car from 2010. It, it, and that's, it's a handsome car. Don't get me wrong. I think that the Model S is, in my opinion, the most handsome out of all of the Tesla models. Uh, unfortunately, that's like saying, I don't know, I'm struggling to come up with a good Jeremy Clarkson analogy here. You know, they're all they're all ugly, right? I mean, all of the all of the Teslas look really bad, except for the Model S, in my opinion. So to say that it's the most handsome one isn't saying much. Well, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't think that they need. I don't think any Teslas are really ugly. I think there's uglier cars out there. Um, I do think that they are all very similar to each other when it comes to design, and I find that to be a little bit, especially now that the Model S has been out for quite some time. I do tend to find the styling a little bit dull. Um, I wouldn't go as far as saying that they're all ugly. I don't think they are ugly, but I just find them to be a little bit dull. I mean, if I was in the market right now for an EV, I would probably get a, a Model Y, um, and I was I would be totally fine living with the looks. But that's just me. Yeah. You know, I can't... I, the, the Model 3 and the Model S are... My, in my view, okay. When it comes to looks, the Model S is, is a handsome car. The Model Y, or excuse me, the Model Three is um, acceptable. It's the SUVs that are the really ugly ones, in my in my opinion. The Model Y looks bad. The Model X is hideous. <laughs> like it's like it's like it's Pontiac Aztec bad. <laughs> But hey, just as the Pontiac Aztec, they both have a, now a cult following. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the one, the one area that wasn't improved to my satisfaction was the the interior design is is much much better. Okay, like it's it's a really really nice interior, modern, up to date. The design is wonderful, but the they didn't change the materials. The materials look the exact same, and I think that's one of the dings that that gets hit that tesla gets hit with because these are cars that are competing in a price bracket that people have an expectation or at least the competitors deliver 
really high quality materials, really good fit and finish. And Tesla's never delivered on that. I kind of expected that with this refresh, they would, uh, you know, do an upgrade to the materials. Again, we're talking a car that's $140,000, which is a lot of money. And I, I, I think that there's a higher expectation for materials. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, when I test drove the Model Y, I wasn't disappointed by the interior materials. Uh, I thought they were fine. Uh, now, were they the most premium? No, uh, they weren't, but they weren't horrible either. But yes, you know, if you're willing to spend $140,000 on a car, um, well, actually, let me rephrase this. You, the interior maybe doesn't have to be that premium because of what it gives you. Uh, and this is kind of the the American recipe, right? You get a lot of bang for your buck when it comes to performance, but the interior is not that great. And mm-hmm. and for the U.S., that has worked. Outside of the U.S., that hasn't really worked too well. But for the U.S., that works. People are willing to pay more to get really good performance uh, versus a premium interior. While in Europe is a little bit the opposite. They pay a lot more for a premium interior than for than for performance. And when it comes to uh, performance here in the Model S with the new one that, that's coming out, I mean, how can you be that? It's, yeah. it's it's fantastic. Well, I guess I guess my to put a finer point on my on my complaint is the Model Y and Model Three. The interior quality is okay for those. Okay, I mean the materials are acceptable for a car that's forty, maybe even fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. I think it's comparable at least to its competitors. But the problem is that it's the same material quality that you get in the $140,000 Model S Plaid Plus. It's the same leather, the same materials, and it's, and it's just, it's fine for the $40,000 car. I don't think that it's fine for the $100,000 car. And I think that this is actually where the Lucid Air is going to really kick, kick Tesla in the pants. Because the, when you look at the pictures of the Lucid Air, the material quality, it's futuristic. It's, you know, it's techie. I hate to say that word, but it kind of is. And it's, 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 a, it's a modern design, contemporary. The material quality is just really, really high. And while maintaining that contemporary look. So I think the interior of the Lucid Air, just it really outdoes the Tesla. The exterior design of the Lucid Air also outdoes the Tesla. And this is, you know, kind of to what you said, all of the Teslas look kind of similar. And there's a lot of Teslas on the road now. Yeah. If, you, if you're someone who is in the, in the market for a really high-end EV sedan, you got a couple of choices. You can buy a, a Porsche Taycan Turbo S, really fast, great driving car. Range is not so great. You can buy the Tesla Model S Plaid Plus, exceptional performance. It's a Tesla. Or you can go with the Lucid Air, which is going to have a higher top speed. They're claiming 217 miles an hour. The acceleration is going to it's going to be two and a half seconds. So it's a little bit slower, right? Two and a half versus two. But I mean, like you can't tell the difference between two and a half and two seconds acceleration. And not everyone's going to have one. And on top of that, you get a, an, an interior with uh, much higher quality materials. So, you know, that's kind of my, I'm not disappointed in the, in the Tesla model S I'm just, 
I kind of had higher expectations or hopes that they would address what their competitors are doing kind of more directly because Tesla's still in their first iteration, right? We're still waiting for them to create their second line of models and they have to improve. That's just the nature of the car of the car industry. You you have to continue to improve. Yeah, I think that um the biggest thing, of course, that people want to see when it comes to improvement on any EV more than the interior is going to be uh, range, anything that's related to range of battery. And I think that's where Tesla right. is yeah. really saying, OK, you know what, maybe we, we do understand that we don't have the best materials or we do understand that our build quality uh, is not the best. But um, that's really not what we want to focus on. We want to focus on range and battery a life and things of that nature, because at the end of the day, that's really what uh, consumers are really wanting to get out of an EV vehicle. I mean, as as great yeah. as great as the Porsche is, which we both adore, the Porsche, it just doesn't have the range. Um, everything else is fantastic about the vehicle, and it is selling and is selling well. And I think that part of the reason that it's selling well is because, first of all, I think it's the best looking EV out there. It's crazy fast, um, and it's a Porsche. That badge carries a lot of weight. But if you take that Porsche out of the way, a lot of people, the reason that they buy Teslas instead of a, uh, of a Golf, uh, electric Golf, or uh, a Chevy Bolt, or anything like that, is because when it comes to range and battery, they're doing it a little bit better than most. And on top of that, yeah. you have the charging network, so just because of that, I'm sure, and myself included, I'd be willing to look the other way when it comes to either looks, unless it, I find them hideous, which I don't, uh, and as well as look the other way when it comes to, sure, they look the, all of them look pretty similar, and the build quality is not the best. But at the end of the day, you're not buying the Tesla Model S, the new one, the Plaid Plus, for $140,000 because of how nice the interior is. You're buying it because it'll give you 520 miles of range, 200 miles top speed, and zero to 60 in less than two seconds. That's really why you're buying it. Everything yeah. else is just kind of like, right. you know, you, you're buying those numbers and then they're giving you the rest of the car for free. Right. Well, and, and when they come out with the Roadster, yeah, you're probably gonna, it's probably gonna be based off of this, yeah. right? It's gonna be pretty much the same thing. Yeah. And those are gonna be, I think that's going to be even more impressive. And I guess, and I guess when it, when you start competing in the two door grand touring sporty coupe arena, that's when you really kind of got to pick up your game looks wise in the sedan world. Eh, it's good enough. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> but, but uh, anyway, moving on, we've talked a lot about Tesla. What, 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 what else do we have? Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of really, really fast sedans, BMW has a new M5, a new, a new, not a new M5, but a new version of the M5. So this is the M5 CS it's for competition sport, as, as they term them in the BMW lingo. This is, this is kind of like an extra lightweight, more focused M5. So they, they take about 230 pounds. Stunt, you know, it's over 100 kilos, right? So take about 230 pounds out of weight out. They they do that through like a new hood, um, you know, some more carbon fiber pieces. They they take out a whole bunch of sound deadening. 
replace the wheels and they have these new trick carbon fiber seats front and rear there's no third third um, seat in the middle in the rear in the rear seats and then you get a, a modest horsepower bump you know 10 horsepower so not enough to really make a difference the the really interesting part to me about this car and i do think that this is this is actually the most interesting bmw i think currently on sale is is the reduction in sound deadening mm-hmm. and like I, I man you can like i'm i'm getting all hot and bothered about this i'm getting all excited and talking with my hands because in my mind bmw has just really strayed really far from their mission in the last really for the last 10 years 15 years maybe even where they're just not driver focused in the way that they should be right and the way if you've driven a bmw from 20 or 30 years ago or or even further back than that you really got an experience that's like you have a lot of connection with your vehicle and part of that is you get like all these little sounds and stuff you know i mean old cars they just weren't they're not insulated in the way that they are now and when you want a driver focused sedan you don't want to be insulated from the road you want to be connected to it so that reduction in sound deadening, I think that, I mean, they could have, they could have done like a carbon fiber skin, you know, carbon fiber body and gotten the same weight reduction, but they didn't because they care more about the driver and they care more about connecting the driver to the vehicle. At least that's the impression that I get from the CS. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of pretty much everything that comes out of Germany. However, I've never been a huge fan of BMW and there's nothing against the company itself. I've, I've just, their cars have never really done anything for me. Um, that yeah. said, uh, actually there's there's one exception. I've always been a big fan because I've driven one, an E36 uh, M3. Uh, I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but uh, my the, the problem, and this is not a BMW problem. This is a problem with, uh, with Audi and it's a problem with Mercedes too, is that they keep coming out with these other versions. And they come out with these yeah. other versions, and I'm okay with multiple versions, but the problem is when you attach the, in the case of BMW, the M badge, or in the case of Mercedes, the AMG, or in the case of Audi, the S. And so I think it just dilutes the brand way too much. And if this is the M5 that everybody wanted and the M5 that should have been in the first place, then this is what they should have built in the first place. And well, yeah, th- yeah, and that's that really hits on my chief complaint of it, which is it, this absolutely is what the M5 should have been the entire yep. time. They shouldn't have deviated from the formula. I, I mean, and, and you and if you look at the old M5s, the the first, mm, we'll say we'll say three generations of the M5, all of them were more like this, right? And and like th- th- you're right, it absolutely is a problem because it used to be that every BMW was a sporty BMW. Yeah. Every single one was sporty and just enjoyable to drive. You get the the cheapest three series with a little tiny economical, you know, four cylinder. It was still a blast to drive all the way up to the most expensive one. They were all great to drive. And that's not, frankly, that's not the case anymore. And what you have now is the BMW is focused a lot on insulating the cars on insulating the drivers and removing them from the driver experience to make it more luxurious. And so what you have is you have a base car that's designed as a luxury car, not as a sports car. 
not as a sports sedan. And, and then they try to make it more sporty from there, right? So you have the base one, then you have the base one with the big engine, and then you have the base one with the big engine and the sport package, and then you have the base one with the big engine and the M sport package, and then you have the base M car, and then you have the competition version of the M car, and then finally you get to the CS. And like the M version is just supposed to be the ultimate yeah. version. There shouldn't be extra versions of the right. M one. Yep. Just just make the other car, just make the base car more sporty and you don't have to go through this. Yeah, or, or maybe not the base car more sporty. I mean, if that's what people want, then that should be the focus of the five series. And the five series should be focused as, you know, the same way as the Audi A8 or the S-Class. It, it's the big luxury yacht and it's comfortable and you don't hear anything on the outside and that's great that's why you buy a five series you want something that's the size of a five series but you do want to have the true bmw uh, uh, sporty heritage then get the m5 yeah but I, I have big hopes from this m5 i mean i i won't be getting one because there's no third seat in the rear and well i have three kids so that's a no-go for me but I'm really excited about the experience that this promises and, you know, just the idea of driving and being able to hear the rocks hit the bottom of your car. And, you know, you get more vibrations and more sound from the engine and from the road, you know, I mean, those, those little things have a lot of potential to make a big difference on the experience of driving the car. And that's really where the current M5 lacks. I mean, the numbers are just amazing. And the, the capabilities of the machine are yeah. out of this world. But the experience has just not been there in the way that the earlier M products Yeah, I were. mean, I remember when this new uh, generation of M5 came out, um, I didn't think it was the prettiest. I still don't think it's the prettiest. But when I just looked at the sheer numbers of what this thing can do, uh, it's the first time in quite some time that I was a bit in awe by what a tank this size could do. Because it's not every day yeah. that you see the performance that you get, even on the even on the regular M5. We're not even talking about the CS. Even on the regular M5, the performance that you get out of that car is it's hard to wrap your mind around how something that big can do the things that it can do. Uh, absolutely, I mean it's it's literally supercar yeah. fast, right? That's not. It, it's kind of become a you know a, a cliche saying but like you you know what go and find a lamborghini or a con or any ferrari and go ahead and drag race them and you're gonna you're probably gonna win yeah, it's, it's just it's nuts how how much performance bmw has been able to squeeze out of that package well let's let's move on uh wax poetic long enough about my my love for i love the m5 anyways so the uh the lotus lineup Okay, so Lotus has announced that they are going to discontinue their entire model lineup for sometime during 2021, and they're going to replace it. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, dear listener, that, what do you mean the entire lineup? Lotus only sells one car, and, and I don't just mean one model. Like, they only sold one Avora. No, no, they sold more than that, but... They don't sell very many Avoras, and, and that's the only model they sell in the United States. But uh, in, other, in other markets, they have a three-car lineup. They have a, an Elise and an Exige Series 3, right? So in the States, we only got the Series 2 Elise, 
there was one before it and one after it. They still sell those. And then they also have the, the Avora. Now, the Avora is pretty old. Actually, all of so, them are kind of old. The great, the, the, yeah, they the are. great cars, I mean, the, don't get me wrong. I think, I mean, if you're looking for a pure driver's experience, Lotus will have you covered. But um, they, they, yeah. they, they come from the old country and they are old too. So, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the Avora dates back to what, 2009? Yeah. And the, the Elise, the Elise. Yeah, and the, and and it's based off of an Elise architecture. Actually, it's, it's significantly modified, but it's based off of the Elise architecture, the Series Two Elise, and the Series Two Elise was really mechanically based on the Series One Elise, which started in 1996. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, there it's not no. for a lack of trying. I mean, they've they have made a lot of efforts to try to come out with new models, and they just haven't been able to do it. I mean, they got bought by Proton. And then 2010, they showed up to the um, Paris Auto Show with a bunch of new models, right? They got a bunch of money from Proton, which, which is a Malaysian car company, right? Um, unless you're from Southeast Asia, you've probably not heard of them. And they, put a, they pumped a bunch of money into Lotus. They came out with all these concepts, and then Proton kind of backed off, and they decided they didn't want to be involved with Lotus. And they, you know, funding dried up, and so they never made any of those cars. And then... Later, they got bought by a, a Chinese company, Geely. Um, it's a large Chinese company. And they sell, they pretty much sell cars all over the world right now. I mean, they've been expanding quite a bit. Anyways, they've been pumping a bunch of money into Lotus again. They're hitting this whole electric car thing pretty hard, and they kind of want Lotus to be their Halo brand. So what we've, what we've seen so far is we have this Avija. How do you say it? Do you know how to do you, do you know how to actually pronounce the name? Uh, I, no. Avija. Avija. Yeah, no, I guess. Anyway, so so they came out with this Avija a year year or so ago. They they released it. Uh, they released images of it, right? And um, it's pretty amazing. It looks really good. It's an electric hypercar, two thousand horsepower, two million dollars. They're only going to make one hundred and thirty of them, but it it's um it actually looks really good. I gotta say um so anyway so they they finally said look you know we're gonna come out with our uh, our new lineup and here's some details on it so we will be getting four cars they're planning on having a four car lineup and in order from least expensive to most expensive the least expensive we will have and this is uh, going to be presumably the second card to come out the avija is going to be the first one to come out and then we'll get this. It's the last gas-powered car that Lotus is going to make. It's going to be like an Elise replacement. So something small, very, very lightweight, and powered by an internal combustion engine. Expect that to be around $75,000. The next one is going to be an Avora replacement. Now, the current Avora is a four-seater. The replacement won't be. But it'll be kind of like the mission statement of the Avora, which is to be... Um, maintain the dynamics of a Lotus that you expect from Lotus, but to be more usable on a day-to-day basis. So a little bit larger and a little bit more luggage space, a little bit more comfortable without sacrificing weight or anything. And then beyond that, we'll have kind of a spiritual successor to the Esprit. So expect that to have a V6 hybrid, you know, plug-in hybrid 
probably a twin turbo V6 and expect that one to be around $150,000. I didn't say the, the, the Evora replacement will be around $110,000 and the Esprit replacement will be around $150,000. That'll be a kind of a supercar type car. That's uh, really focused on performance. And then beyond that, you have the hypercar Avija 2000 horsepower, $2 million. Well, it's an interesting lineup. I think. Yep. Um, and actually, uh, beyond being interesting, I think it's a bit crowded. Um, I think four cars for Lotus is too many. Um, mm -hmm. I would actually just do three cars. I would do uh, a, an Elise replacement, which, as you said, is going to be the last um, um, internal combustion engine Lotus that they'll produce. That's going to be great. No question about it. Then do a Evora or an Esprit, kind of a, a mix between those two, something in between. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, Evija. Um, the thing about Lotus is it's, it's an interesting car company because we know that they make great cars. They're fantastic to drive. Everybody who has owned one or driven one, uh, everybody says they're fantastic cars to drive. But they don't sell a whole lot of them. And they haven't sold a whole lot of them for a long time. And yeah. it does beg the question, why? And I think that the reason why is because they're a bit too hardcore vehicles. Uh, they're great for one thing and one thing only. And that is it, which is they're not the they're not the fastest cars out there, but they are darn quick when it comes to driving it on canyon roads or mountains or things of that nature. They are incredible. And I think that because it just built it as a a one horse pony type of thing, they only do one trick. Uh, I think that's maybe why sales over the last few years actually have suffered from from Lotus. And when you think about it, you know, spending that kind of money well, for something that does one thing in the world that we live in, we kind of want one thing to do everything. Uh, we don't want one thing to do one thing only. Very good. Well, but that's the only thing that I want it to do. <laughs> no, I, I recognize that like Lotus is, you know, Lotus's ideal buyer is pretty much me. And, and I recognize that I'm in the minority here, even, mm -hmm. even among gearheads. So, you know, yeah. Now the question is, what will the Avora, what will power the Avora? We don't have any word yet, whether it's going to be a hybrid or all electric. We don't know. Now I, I, I concede your point that the, the lineup is a little bit crowded, but if the Avora comes out as an electric yeah. only, as a, yeah, as a less powerful electric vehicle, know, yeah, that, that, could, that could work. I mean, because it's not going to have 2000 horsepower like the Avija, but it, you know, if it had yeah. 500 horsepower or 600 horsepower, then it would be probably quite, quite the deal. And I suspect that they will go that route because I think that really Geely wants to sell a lot of cars in China and, you know that that's really what the chinese market wants they don't have i mean people most people in china who are buying cars they're first generation car owners almost all of them okay because i want to talk about the 2000 horsepower about the uh avija um mm -hmm. well um do you actually need it i mean sure it's great to say i have 2000 horsepower but in what situation are you going to find yourself that you're actually going to put, put those 2,000 horsepower to good use? And 
Well, let me and not only let me good, say put them to good use, but in in a way that it's safe for you and for those who are around you. Yeah. Well, let me let me say I I have an answer to this because I I was I was actually I was thinking pretty much the same thing when I saw that I was like you know two thousand horsepower I mean look like you have the the way that well, the way that we started the podcast was with the Tuatara Tuatara is almost two thousand horsepower and it's rear wheel drive so right but the but the Tuatara is really it really is as you said a one trick pony. Right. It, it's designed to go as fast as possible over land, period. And, you know, the Lotus, the Avija, it's, it's not really, it, it's, it's a Lotus, right? It's designed to be good to drive. So is, is 2,000 horsepower enough? Well, I don't think that you're ever going to actually use all 2,000 horsepower at the same time because it's a four-motor setup. So unless all four wheels are perfectly straight, you're never actually going to be delivering the 2000 horsepower, right? You'll never be able you know, even assuming grip. The other, the other thing is that I think that it will have a pretty good mm -hmm. top speed. And if you're using a single speed gearbox, 2000 horsepower, you do kind of need it. If you want to go, if you want to go, um, you know, over 200 miles an hour, which I think you, you know, if you're charging $2 million for a car, you do you really, really do need that type of horsepower with a single speed gearbox to get to 200, you know, over 200 miles an hour. Now the Tesla model S plaid is going to have over a thousand horsepower. So we're talking half and that'll do 200 miles an hour. So, you know, maybe, maybe we're also talking performance of acceleration higher up. Maybe, maybe that's part of it. And so that kind of, because it's geared, you know, higher, it's not like it has that same type of power, initially right so it won't feel like a 2000 horsepower car because it's geared yeah really i mean high. i, I think sense? too that uh, at least for me it goes a little bit um in the opposite direction of what lotus has always stood for which is you don't need big power to make the car yeah. great we're going to make the chassis great we're going to make it very light we're going to make it very compact um, and then with a much smaller engine, we can get the performance that we need. And with much less horsepower, we can get the performance that we need. And Lotus has always been about that. It's been about not so much top speed or acceleration, but they've always been about being fantastic at handling. And, of course, once you get to the point yeah. that you have 2,000 horsepower, or even if you end up using less, like you were saying, is how much do you – I mean – Part of the reason why driving a Lotus is so enjoyable is because you can use the power all the time uh, the, because they're not overly powered, mm -hmm. uh, which makes the, the whole experience of driving a car great. One of my all-time favorite cars that I've had the opportunity to drive, which I thought it was fantastic, it was the, five, the Fiat 500 Abarth. And the reason I like that car a lot is because you can use all the power all the time without getting into a whole lot of trouble. And... I think that is the recipe for Lotus and 2000 horsepower. I think it goes against their, the recipe that they've always used, which is what people know about Lotus. What you want is something that's really light, nimble, compact to drive that you can feel everything without really getting into a whole lot of trouble. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I agree. Whole completely, new world, right? yeah. It's a whole new world. And here we have, here we have BMW trying to get back to their roots unsuccessfully because i mean like the bmw the m5 is still too heavy and then you have lotus moving away from their roots and you know i mean 
Lotus is even, I, I have every suspicion that these new Lotuses will be produced in China and not in the United Kingdom. So, you know, this, this begs a whole nother set of questions too. Now look, Chinese manufacturing is not what it was 20 years ago. Okay. Like they, they can make a quality product, but like, you know, we're, we're talking Lotus. It's not like Lotus. I mean, Lotus is English. It's not like they're famous for being able to produce highly reliable things. And, you know, I mean, do you really want an electric anything that was designed in England and manufactured in China? <laughs> not, not looking like well, a recipe it, for Who knows? Here. Like you said, the Chinese manufacturing has improved a lot over the last 20 years. And if we... If we're honest about it, I mean, sure. I mean, it's 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 a big leap, but you know, what cell phone company doesn't produce their phones in China nowadays? And they're all electric or any other electric gadget. Of yeah. course, it's very different when you're wanting to get two thousand horsepower out of your electric gadget that you won't get that out of your iPhone. But but still, I mean, it's it's very doable. That said, um, I don't want to knock the Chinese down because. If you think about it, if you're going to build an electric car, do you really want the British building it? Or, <laughs> yeah, no. I, I, in all in all honesty, I would I would take a Chinese make. I would take a Chinese. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that one. I want the British to design it. Yeah. I want the Italians to design it. I just don't want them building them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Otherwise, you can't drive it in the rain. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, I, I think I think it'll actually be a success. I mean, I, you know, we're kind of joking, but we, I, I have a, again every suspicion to believe that once we get these more details on this, that we will see that it, it really the whole lineup will be more Chinese centric than really any other lineup of cars that we've seen, with the exception of the small Elise replacement, which will be designed, I think, primarily mm -hmm. as something yeah. for Europeans, right? And, and and they better bring it to America because Americans are going to want that too, especially as small. I mean, what are your options for a small car? I mean, for a small sports car, they're they're really limited. So there's definitely a market for that. And yeah, and we will, as these details come out, yeah. you will be able to learn about them from listening to the Limited Slip podcast. So uh, President Biden has part of his campaign was that he wanted to replace the entire U.S. federal fleet with EVs. We're, we're talking like over 100,000 vehicles. <laughs> it's not, this is not a small task. Okay. So um, all he, he said that every single electric vehicle owned by the U.S. federal government, presumably this is not including um, military vehicles, will be replaced with an electric vehicle. Uh, so we've seen a lot of like news articles about this and uh, major news outlets, ABC did, did an article. All of the major auto journals did, did some article on this as saying how he signed an executive order to get this done. I, I went and I looked at the executive order and I got to say that this feels like a little bit of a, I don't know if it, it may, maybe they're not quite understanding the executive order all the way. Cause it doesn't actually directly mention this at all. It doesn't mention any of this procurement in any way. So I got I to gotta say that I'm a little bit surprised by the coverage that it's received. That being said, I do think that Joe Biden will work towards that. Right. I think this has to be done, of course, in stages and whenever necessary. For example, if you have a currently, 
if 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 whatever department or whatever city has a gas power or a, a internal combustion engine and that car truck SUV whatever it may be is still working great and you can still get some life out of it for the next few years why replace it now I just think it would be a waste of taxpayers dollars yeah. to do that um, as well as if we're doing this whole thing because we want to be good for the environment, well, you're ta- what you're doing is you're taking out a perfectly usable car for the next few years out of the road because you just want to replace it with an EV when there really isn't a immediate necessity to do that right now. Now, if the car is falling apart or it's time to get it replaced, then I would say, yes, it would make sense to go with the EV route and I would say go for it. But I would I would be against of just replacing everything, even when the cars are still drivable and still good life left them in them. Those are just my two cents. Well, I think the first, the the first, the most obvious case in my mind is the um, yeah the postal postal delivery cars. Those things are like twenty five years old, and um, you know, and that's and what a what a perfect use case for an, for an EV. I think also the presidential mm. limousine would be an interesting. Maybe that's too much of a fashion statement, but. I, f- I feel like that would be an interesting wonder or place too. Um, so, you know, the, I mean, the, the federal government owns all different types of stuff. I mean, trucks and yeah. SUVs and everything. cars yeah. and police cars. And yeah, I mean, just, yeah, everything. But anyways, we'll, we'll you know. see what happens now. And then, and I, yeah, I guess I should clarify that the executive order that I was talking about is the, the buy American executive order. Right. So, not only does he plan on replacing all of the EVs, if 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 this is the executive order he's going to use to do it, which again, in my reading, it doesn't really make sense. Then at least they're going to we know that they're going to be all American electric electric vehicles. In the last in the last podcast, I talked about this we did. low volume yeah. motor vehicles act and how SEMA SEMA sued them and SEMA sued the federal government in order to get this rule finally to come to pass that they that allows them to produce a low volume of of cars that are exempt from certain regulations and we have as far as i can tell this is the first announcement of a production vehicle under this act i mean delorean must have been sitting around waiting for this to happen so under the rule the the new car has to quote unquote resemble a classic car now we have kind of two possibilities with DeLorean. We're not sure which one they're they're talking about with this low volume motor vehicles act one. But basically we know that DeLorean has been working on an electric version of the DeLorean. So basically they have a bunch of spare parts and they're going to produce using original tools uh, reproductions of the of the original DeLorean. But uh, you know really the DeLorean had a it terrible engine. It was really slow and they're gonna it was it was pretty horrible it was awesome to look at and horrible in every single other way and they're gonna put a modern ev platform under it okay so maybe this so this is a, this is a, we, we a know reference that to been, back to the future but we, maybe now right, we, it'll actually be able to do 1.21 gigawatts <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so so that's that's one possibility. The other possibility is is we know that they've entered into a partnership with Italia Design, Italia Design, excuse me, and 
this is for a quote new retro style DeLorean end quote. So we know that Italia Design is is working on a design for them. We don't know if this is going to be close enough to resembling the original to qualify under this low volume motor vehicle act or not. But both of those projects they do because pretty exciting. As you said, you know the the biggest problem and it was a huge problem that the original DeLorean had was the pig of an engine that it had. It was just useless. I mean, it developed less power than a kid with asthma coughing at you. It's just, it's it was pretty bad. I mean, there was, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was horrible. And so, but the thing is, the rest of the car was great. I mean, it was great to look at. It was decent to drive. And of course, then you had the the whole Back to the Future thing which made the car just unbelievable, recognizable everywhere in the world and an instant cult classic. And, you know, you look at DeLoreans nowadays and they still look great. I mean, I think they don't look modern in any way, shape or form, but they look like they were just made in the 80s and it's just pure 80, 80s coolness. And yeah, take the engine out, put something else in it and it becomes even better because... You know, the reason that people buy DeLoreans mostly now is because of that attachment that they have to the back of the future movie. But the truth of the matter is it's easy to find DeLoreans with low mileage because they're just horrible to drive because of that pig of an engine that it had. So if now you finally have a good powertrain, now you can actually take it out for a drive and enjoy it, which is really what car was meant to be done in the first place. Anyway. We'll, we'll see. I mean, like you said, it's exciting either way. Whatever route they go with uh, it's going to be exciting. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. And then the the last thing, this is a kind of a oddball thing that I, I included in here is Michelin came out with a patent for a motorcycle assist motor. So the whole idea is, you know, you have this big heavy motorcycle, you're backing it up or trying to park it or moving around in a parking lot or at a stoplight or whatever. And, and there's, there's a real danger that you drop it because it's just really big. Okay. And so what they have is it has these two little tiny rollers that are powered by a one pound foot electric motor and the rollers that like they sit like behind your, um, your um, uh, number plate and they press onto the tire and they can power back and forth to maintain the balance of the, of the motorcycle. So it doesn't fall over. I thought that was just really, really cool. <laughs> Um, you know, I mean, I mean, honestly, my take is that if you can't safely move your motorcycle around, then it's just, it's too big for you. But the idea was still really interesting. It's just, uh, I think it's great because you got to look at it from the, from the standpoint as which, what it is, it's a safety feature. And we've seen that we've seen how many safety features have been created in the automotive world, which has made cars a lot safer and has, they've avoided accidents. And this is just another thing. It's just another safety feature. Uh, and I think it's great. It is time to end. Thank you for listening to the Limitus to the Limitus Slip podcast. We hope that you enjoyed it. We hope you made it through the whole extra long episode. We apologize for that, but not really because well, yeah. we just can't control ourselves. We just keep talking. Before we get to the rest of the show, take a moment to subscribe. If you enjoy our insights and want to help keep our lights on, you can visit our businesses. Borja runs a full-service auto repair shop in Orem, Utah. You can find him on Facebook at Auto Pros Utah. And trust me, he really can fix anything. Dave imports cars from South America and Europe. 
primarily classic trucks like FJ40s and Land Rovers. But he can help you source any classic car in any condition that you want. From cars that were never sold in the U.S. to trucks that are just cheaper with less rust overseas. Visit Dave at DaveTheCarImporter.com. There's no reason for you not to have the car of your dreams, even if it's forbidden fruit. That's it for this week's Limited Slip Podcast. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss our insights into next week's automotive news. If you want to help us keep the content coming, leave a five-star review and visit our businesses at DaveTheCarImporter.com, where Dave helps clients import their dream cars from South America and Europe for a flat fee, or Borja's business on Facebook at Auto Pros Utah, a full-service auto repair shop. It's been Dave and Borja on this week's Limited Slip Podcast.